Hello, I'm Christopher Kassan, and this is Ireland's Edge. On today's episode, the home front of the Russian invasion for Ukrainians in Ireland. Just over a year ago, Vladimir Putin launched an imperialist invasion of Ukraine. The brutal effects of Russian aggression have forced millions of Ukrainian refugees to flee their home country, and there are now tens of thousands of Ukrainians here in Ireland. Singer and composer Alessia Zdarvetska has lived here for over a decade, while academic Larissa Somosonok arrived in the early weeks of the war. In front of a live audience at Ireland's Edge and Dingle, Alessia and Larissa spoke to Morton Kelleher about experiencing the invasion of their homeland from Ireland, and what we all need to understand about Ukraine's fight for survival. You've both lived here and there, in your, in your phones, in your, both of your families are still there, both your, your parents are still there, your siblings are there. How have you actually coped with being here, all of that actually happening? And I know that both of you have been incredibly productive and active and on so many fronts. How have you done that? Well, um, we have a huge privilege. We have a more uh, two hours more in a day. <laughs> because difference in the time to Just hours. earlier, still 24, Larissa. <laughs> no, 26. <laughs> because uh, we start at six in Ireland, eight. And in Ukraine, uh, six. And I have to start at six. And uh, when in Ireland, uh, 12 p.m., in Ukraine, 2 a.m., it's okay, 26 hours. That is why. <laughs> um, you know, um, digital technology, very helpful for us, but not, unfortunately, last month, because, as you know, uh, Ukrainian energetic infrastructure bomb is bombing all days and uh, a lot of problems now with energy in Ukraine, with internet, with connections. But uh, Ukrainians mm, continue to repair everything and rebuild everything and we have a connection, very strong connection. And uh, last two weeks I had uh, all days online meeting because I work, as you know, with entrepreneurs, and we uh, now had a very long strategic sessions because we need to recover our territory, which will be uh, deoccupied in the nearest future. I, I know that. You mentioned there working with entrepreneurs. What are you actually doing with businesses right now in the Ukraine that you continue to, to do from here? Um, I work in two organizations in NGO, it's a business association of micro and small business and I worked in a consultant service, uh, in consultant center and uh, we provide, I provide and my team provided, uh, is providing a consultant for them because all legislations, all regulations in Ukraine now is changed because war time and we have a huge changes in taxation system, in labor regulation and a lot of changing and we help to them to continue work in a legal field. And uh, another huge point for us, we try to help them relocate 
businesses from occupied territory or from territory where is uh, very active um, uh, military actions to western or central part uh, of Ukraine. We're trying to find uh, resources, possibilities, and uh, help them to move not only equipments, to move team, uh, staff, uh, what we can to do. It's, a, it's my job now. And Olesa, the focus of your activity has changed over the course of the year too. So what you started at doing out immediately in the spring has changed to the type of yeah, work yeah, it, that you're doing now. It was just this kind of strange sense of suddenly you find yourself living within this sort of really thick, like, you know, dance, or I don't know, rather condensed history. And uh, as an artist, it's a huge challenge, you know, to make sense out of this moment and to, you know, maintain creative practice. But, you know, in spring art, felt completely irrelevant uh, and powerless, so I did. I quit my artistic job and uh, I joined some task forces and we were volunteering and helped evacuating people and you know, we were delivering medical aid and, you know, just to help in a very practical way. And, um, you know, lots of uh, people in Ireland and, and my friends here were sending messages of support and uh, they were donating to this, uh, you know, big organizations, which I, I wouldn't name here, you know, them. And, and I was very grateful, but a little bit frustrated at the same time, because um, then I remember in, in the beginning of summer, I think the Open Democracy Report came up and uh, it, it showed that the most immediate needs uh, during spring were covered like at 90% by local smaller NGOs in Ukraine and some ground initiatives and, you know, volunteers. And I was part of that process and I could see how efficient it was and we were addressing those needs. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess it's the, the big organizations due to, I don't know, bureaucracy or some structures there, they were a little bit less efficient at, at a time. And, uh, um, you know, for example, there was a a big scandal because they were not partaking in evacuation missions and process. So yeah, I, was, I, I, I did create at the time a list of trusted charities in Ukraine, smaller initiatives, and, um, uh, to, and kind of was suggesting to people to donate to them uh, because they just, uh, you could, they could see the immediate result and I was, I I was providing reports and, uh, and I suppose that's kind of one of those examples when the, in times of trouble, the civil society self-organizes uh, and groups and being most efficient. And um, well, eventually my voice got back. I, I could go back to my uh, work. I had a commitment actually. I had a show in the Gate Theater in Dublin and then we were, uh, you know, during Galway Arts Festival, we, were, we had a tour there and it was, I was kind of lucky to have work because, you know, it was an income so I could keep donating to, to you know, my friends and family in, in there because many of them are in the army and, uh, you know, but um, also I was lucky because I was, the, the work, I was doing this opera, for example, in, in, in uh, autumn and uh, it was a very dark sort of theme and we toured in Spain and Portugal and uh, yeah, I, it kind of was matching my emotional landscape. So uh, all, all these charitable events and things like that then followed. But um, yeah, I suppose it's, it, it, it was all about defining sort of 
my field of responsibility and what I could do and work there. Trying to work through that in your own... Well, I suppose, and that's where the, the, I had this idea for a long time, and it became, we have this expression in Ukrainian, nachasi, which means it's in the right time. And uh, so, yeah, the, I had the idea of uh, Ukrainian-Irish culture platform, this kind of strategically focused organization, to fill these gaps in, in knowledge and awareness uh, here about Ukraine, but also <laughs> subsequently after uh, our victory in Ukraine to, you know, uh, amplify Irish cultural voice in Ukraine. And I think this is sort of, you know, there's incredible potential in, in this initiative. I, mean, I think it will be very fruitful for both of our cultures. So that's kind of where my focus of my work is at the moment. And you've started on establishing that platform and putting those linkages in place and... Yeah, we actually did just, uh, we, we did run, and obviously all of the, what the intent is to, to make these events charitable. So, for example, with Creative Europe uh, Desk Ireland this autumn, we ran a series of very successful events where uh, just, you know, sort of rising awareness and facilitating the, you know, public dialogue and this exchange and sort of offering the resources uh, for, for this kind of exchange of knowledge. And... Uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's a very, very uh, huge support and interest, you know, and, and I see this massive gap, you know, in the, uh, kind of knowing what Ukraine is. And uh, our, one of our prominent writers, actually, I remember last week I read the quote and it struck me because she just summed it up. You can't, she was saying that you can't uh, care uh, about something if you don't know it. And I realized if people don't know what Ukraine is, and suddenly it appeared on the world map, you know, we suddenly have our voice uh, loud, and I want it to be louder, of course. I want to amplify Ukrainian voice. But, uh, yeah, how can, you, how can you care about something that you don't know? And that is, that, that is where my work lies at the moment. And to go from that very contemporary voice about caring about something, you, you found this, what I found a fascinating, one of the historical parallels that you've spoken to me about between Ireland and Ukraine is the Markievicz connection in the uh, right at the time of independence. What, what is that story um, for this audience? Yeah, I was privileged to receive Markievicz awards. I didn't uh, sort of expect, and I'm, I'm very grateful because it uh, allows me to dig deeper into this research and you know produce... Uh, project. You can follow up on that. Uh, we plan to launch it in Sligo in uh, next summer. Um, but um, yeah, it's just we had a very, very similar figure in Ukrainian history because something that I want to kind of explain to people always that this war suddenly didn't start like on the 24th of February. We had it at least for eight years uh, since the Revolution of Dignity, actually almost nine years now. And we had it for at least 100 years when Ukraine for the first time had a chance to proclaim its independence, kind of around uh, the time of, uh, you know, uh, World War One, and um, we, we, did, we couldn't sustain it, like, unlike Ireland, uh, which did. But also it's 100 years of, you know, uh, colonial histories, and, and um, I suppose it's really... I'm, Whatever I have a platform to speak, and I'm not a great speaker, I feel quite uncomfortable in this role. I choose music and poetry, and I think they're usually much more accurate uh, for you know describing reality or dealing with reality. But um, 
I think I, I always try to reiterate on the fact that um, the, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine today is a neo-colonial war. It's the attempt to restore their imperial geopolitical blueprint. And for us, our resistance is really a decolonial struggle. And, um, you know, and that, that kind of proves this you know, reconciliation talk at this stage is very hard. And it's actually dangerous until you know, we rethink our framework of the dialogue that we have. And uh, we also need to rethink the vocabulary that we have for this process of arts decolonization. And uh, we quite often find that this irresistible desire, and I, I'm sure Larissa would agree with me, we just talked about it briefly uh, backstage, that you know, it's almost, uh, it's, you know, it's very arrogant when people try to reconcile us right now because it's a, it's sort of reconciliation of the victim and offender. So the starting point for any reconciliation with Russia, like I think it's far in the future when uh, they fully withdraw from Ukraine, including Crimea and Donbass, and when the you know, international tribul tribunal holds Russia accountable um, because I believe in the collective responsibility and you know, there's a lot of war crimes committed on a daily basis still right now. Although the, in the media, I notice only about a quarter of, of what's happening is, is being covered. And that is actually <laughs> deeply frustrating and only kind of strengthens me this idea that, okay, there's, there's a lot of work to be done to amplify Ukrainian voice. Um, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I could just speak about this for a long time. And maybe so. just going on from that, your, your point, Alessa, to Larissa. Um, Larissa, you have made the, the the point there, I suppose, which Olesa has been trying to say. It, it's painted in this ongoing relationship of of a, of a colonial nature over a long, long time. People often say, "Well, what will happen post Putin?" You answer that question, you know, quite directly in a. I will let you answer it for the audience. But when people say to you, if Putin goes, does it make a difference? What is your answer to that? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm joking. Uh, I think it's uh, not uh, Putin. It's a system. And nothing will be changed. Necessary to change uh, society. And it's a really long, long, time need to spend for that. And I cannot see uh, forces uh, which can do that in Russia or even outside. Um, now it's an absolutely isolated country and no internal uh, power to change anything to the best life for Russians, not for people outside Russia. Uh, they cannot change a life even for their citizens. Uh, and as I understand, uh, not in this year and, or last year, I understood that this really very long time ago, that this system will alive and when we isolate, uh, will isolate Russia at all, everything will be much, much worse. Because uh, necessary to, uh, to, left, to leave sorry, them a window of opportunity 
to come democracy to them, but necessary to change a system. Uh, probably necessary to start in a Russian way, to give them money, <laughs> like they buy everything. Uh, money for democracy development. It, it's possible, but it's a tough job, and nobody can do that except themselves. As it's my opinion about Putin system and time after him. Thank you for being with us this afternoon. Olesa, we are very glad that you restarted performing and we're delighted that you are going to perform for us now. So we will leave that to you and Larissa and I will Thanks leave once again. Stage Just to one you. very important thing to say that we need to keep fighting uh, you know, this, this dominance. My front is the cultural and the linguistic dominance. And it's just, we need to do it to safeguard our identity. And uh, this is our means of survival. So uh, you, there's a great uh, deal of amazing <laughs> Ukrainian culture to discover, so I encourage, and, and literature that's been translated in history. Just I encourage you to go and check it out. And uh, you can help if you amplify Ukrainian voice at the moment and temporarily suspend the, 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 the Russian voice. They just need to do their homework and then, you know, and then we start talking, maybe. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. write about the war, neither victim nor participant 
no defender, nor observer. So who? The war gave everyone a role. What's yours? Covering your mouth with your palm? Right. Right. Miss can't hold back the tongue. Suddenly she's quiet when it just seems precisely the time to talk. But what can you say when over there everyone everywhere is shouting, sirens screaming, smoke crackling high up, evacuate wheels squeaking, crooked mouths of shattered windows desperately howling. She texts you. I can hear explosions close by, fighter jets flying. You don't know how to respond. Oh God, forgive me, I beg you for my pure anger. Where I stand, I will prevail. Think to you that human life is so short, only in my dreams it lasts forever. Thought dispels sadness, to always be as I was when my mother bore me, and uh, was the world blessing. And it's good that she didn't manage to save me from trouble. Oh God, forgive me. For Forgive me, I beg you, for my pure anger, I will stand, where I will stand, I will prevail. Господи, гніву пречистого, благаю, немає за зле, ти не стоятиму, вистою, спасибі за те, що мале людське життя, хоч надією 
чистого, благаю не май за зле, де не скоякну, вистою. Спасибі за те, що мале людське життя, хоч надією довжу його. of courage, the voices of those who stop the columns by themselves, covering the defenseless from bullets with their own bodies, the voice of the one who cries into the void, of the one who calls, who curses, who hides their face in grief, in child's body, in son's photo, in mother's belonging, the stooped shoulders, the trembling old knees. The voice of the burning house, the voice of blood, the voice of a mind that doubts, a voice that breaking through the sirens which lulls the unborn and the nameless. Give that voice away out from the throat suffocated by fear, from the city under fire, from the body that will become dust, from the heart that beats from now on. Oh, 
Ukraine. Karma Hagen, Ireland. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Alessia and Larissa for joining Mourn Keller in Dingle. On our next episode, Mourn is joined by journalist John Kampfner to discuss a world in flux. To make sure you don't miss that or any of our future episodes, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a South Wind Blows production, and I'm Christopher Gassan. Thank you for joining us. I look forward to your company next time on Ireland's Edge. Mm-hmm.